Man, it is so great to be with you, Life Church. Whether you're joining us in person at one of our campuses or you're joining us online, we are so delighted to have you with us today. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 8, verse 31 through 39. Romans chapter 8, verse 31 through 39. I am going to do my very best today to be able to uh, get through this in a timely manner because this is like... This is, the, this is like the greatest um, uh, uh, passage for a pastor to preach because it's so encouraging. It's so overcoming. It's so go fight win as Paul is kind of concluding this, this, this talk topic about this is the death of me, the struggle that we deal with, uh, the overcoming of sin and what Jesus does. And so I'm going to do my best. All right, but I'm going to tell you, I'm going to be passionate today and, and, and I'm going to need to hear you uh, give me a little shout out here or there, even though we may be distant. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm just, this is going to be one of those great messages. And having said that, one of the things that I think is great about today's message is coming at a time when you may feel discouraged, you may feel defeated, you may feel kind of downtrodden. Uh, and you may be looking for answers. And so if you're not a Christ follower, the good news is, is that the, the short of it is that Jesus is the answer. Um, if you're a Christ follower, sometimes it's easy, even in that time, to go to forget that, that Jesus is the answer. And because it sounds so well, it sounds like vacation Bible school. Like, well, yeah, God, I get it. Jesus is the answer, but I'm still having to pay these bills, or I'm still having to deal with my kids, or, or, or there's problems in my marriage, or, or my job, or, or the pandemic, or the crisis that's happening around us, or whatever's going on in your world. Don't get discouraged today. Don't be defeated today. Don't allow the enemy of your soul to shrink you like a pair of 501 button fly shrink to fit blue jeans. Resist that for these next few moments. Listen to what God's word has to say in this powerful passage as we kind of conclude this series this weekend on the death of me. And I hope next weekend you'll be back with me because I've got a special message uh, that we're going to be broadcasting to every campus that we have. And I just think it's just kind of a good word from the Lord for right now where we are as we continue on with what God has. But today we're talking about the fact that you and I are more than conquerors. Romans chapter 8 verse 31. Let's read this. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who could be against us? He did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for all of us. How shall he not, or how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore is risen who is even at the right hand of God and also makes intercession, intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? It is, as it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long and accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Verse 37, yet in all of these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. That's the key verse of this passage. Verse 38, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, or any one 
or any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. I mean, you hear a message, you hear that, read a passage like that, you, you read a text like that, and it's like, yeah, go fight, win. I want to take a couple of moments, though, and I want to unpack what this means. So for some of you that are kind of nerdy theologically, I'm going to kind of pull some doctrines that, that Paul hits on. I'm going to kind of go into and exegete the passage. I'm going to kind of explain the passage theologically, but I'm going to put application with it. Not so much personal application with me, but what is he saying, and what exactly does this state, and why? Why is he saying it the way that he is? Because what this declares is it declares that you and I in Christ Jesus are winners. Again, if you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, very simple. All you need to say is accept the fact that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. Believe that Jesus is your salvation and confess your sins and invite Jesus into your heart and he will come in. And if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, then this passage that Paul is giving us here in Romans declares not just that you and I are conquerors and more than conquerors, but it explains why. And that's what I want to take a couple minutes to explain today, why he says this. Basically, there are five reasons that he gives us. First of all, he says that we're forever protected. We are forever protected. Look at verse 31, Romans 8. What then shall we say to these things? Question. If God is for us, who can be against us? Let me unpack that real quick. Paul continues his encouragement with this rhetorical question. What then shall we say of these things? So what does he mean by these things? These things are a summation. Remember, this is of of his writings in, in the book of Romans. Remember, this entire book of Romans was a letter that Paul was writing to the church in Rome. So he's referring to the previous ideologies and theologies, his ideas, the things that he's been communicating earlier in the letter. The depravity of humanity and of mankind in in chapters 1, 2, and 3, that's part of what he's referring to when he says these things. What shall we say of these things? The second is the justification of by grace through faith that he unpacks in chapters 3, chapters 4, and chapters 5. And the other, these things, it's the sanctification by the Holy Spirit, the work of the Holy Spirit in your life and in my life to bring about us to be more like Jesus. That struggle produces strength in chapter 6, 7, and even up to this point in chapter 8. As a Christ follower considers salvation, we can't miss the proactive role of of God in bringing us along the path. That's what Paul is speaking to. Now, when he says... When he says, if God is for us, that word if, it assumes the condition to be true for the sake of argument. Again, think of it almost like Paul is legally arguing a case because there's a lot of legal ease here in this passage. And because the word if assumes that all of these things are true for the sake of argument, the word because could be inserted in the word if. It would read like this, because God is for us who can be against us. Sometimes we see that word if and it feels conditional, but, but in this particular passage, it's not conditional. It's an assuming word that says, because God is for us, then who can be against us? Very rhetorical. Each question takes aim at Satan himself and it demands the same response. No one can be against us for evil is powerless before an almighty God. And when he says, who can be against us? It's the question, who can oppose us? Make no mistake about it. There's a lot of things in our world that oppose us. There's hardships, 
There are tragedies that kind of relentlessly go at the hope of us who are in Christ Jesus. There's persecution and persecutors. There's naysayers and critics that oppose us. There's even our own sin internally that opposes us. There's the fear of loss that opposes us. There's the evil one himself and those who serve him that oppose us. And eventually death opposes him. But what are they, Paul says, to the power of God? Nothing. Because you and I are forever protected. And in this day and time and in what we're going through, you need to know that, that because you are his and he is yours, it doesn't mean that you will escape hardships or persecution or things coming against you that would oppose you. But what are they? They're nothing. Why? Because you are in him. It's kind of like my dad can beat up your dad. Remember that? My dad can beat up your dad because my dad is bigger than your dad. I am protected. Your father is bigger than the father of this world. Your father is bigger than any principality in any universe, at any place, at any time. He is God Almighty. There is none beside him or above him. So you're protected. The second thing that Paul talks about is that you're forever provided for. In verse 32, you are forever provided for. Let's read verse 32 again. He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. Not just for a few of us, not just for some of us, not just for the good looking ones, amen, but, but for all of us. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Paul says, because God gave you and I, all of us, all of humanity, his one and only son, the most precious gift he has. Everything else, it's gravy, man. Everything else is given because he gave you his very best. He'll give everything else. How many times do we come before God and we're like, I don't want to bother you with this, Lord. And, 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 I, and I know this is not a big deal. And this is just kind of probably not a big worry, but, but it's my worry. But I, I maybe, and, or we don't even pray about something. We don't even ask God, God, what, what should I do in this situation? Or, or should I get involved in this business deal? Or, or, or should I move in this direction? Or should I take this job? And we just kind of think, well, God, those are, those are earthly things, not heavenly things. And the Bible says that God wants to be involved in all things. And that if he will provide for your salvation by giving his one and only son, he'll provide everything else. So what it takes for you to live your life and your home and your kids and your marriage and your education, your calling, all of those things, you are forever provided for. Because he gave Jesus, man, everything else is gravy. Let's move on. The third statement that he tells us, the third thing that we have is that we're forever forgiven. You and I in Jesus are forever forgiven. Verse 33 and 34. First of all, he says, who will bring a charge against God's elect? You who are saved, you who are in Christ Jesus. And again, if you've not given your life to Christ, it's very simple for you just to simply Get, say, Jesus, come into my heart, come into my life, be my Lord, be my Savior, forgive me of my sins. I accept, believe, and confess that Jesus, you are my salvation, that I'm a sinner, and I ask you to come into my life. Who will bring a charge? This is a legal question again. In the Greek, in the Greek it means uh, to bring a charge against means to call in. It would be like a, an official summons to appear in a court face-to-face, -to, -face, to face the accusation. 
to face your accuser. That's what Paul's saying. Who's going to call us into court? Who's going to ask to bring an accusation against us? Who's going to ask us to, to the accuser of our soul? Hey, you've done this and hey, you've sinned here. And you, who's going to do that? Any charge brought against us isn't going to stand. Why? Because our debt for sin has been paid in full. Therefore, you and I are impeachable. We're untouchable. We are and forever will be considered just before the judge of heaven. Because when God sees us, he doesn't see our sins. Remember, when he forgives us of our sins, he remembers them no more. He doesn't see that. He sees you and I pure and blameless, not because of us, but because of what Jesus Christ did. Therefore, who's ever going to bring an accusation against us? It's not going to work. It's like going to, a, to an attorney and saying, hey, do I have a case? And the attorney goes, no, because the bottom line is the judge is going, to be in part, is going to be partial to you because he doesn't see this because, quite frankly, it's already been paid for. It's already handled. We, we, next, this, there's not even a billable hour in here. And so the reality is there's no one, Paul says. And not only is there no charge against you, not because you and I didn't sin, not because you and I are not sinful from time to time, but because Jesus' blood covers us and covers us completely. But not only is there no charge, there's no condemnation. I love this. Who is the one that condemns, he says in verse 34. Who, who condemns? Paul's answer here, he, he highlights four great Christian doctrines. For those of you that are a bit nerdy, I'm going to take a little time. You can write this down. It may not be on the screen, but I'm going to write this. You can take, write this down. First of all, he says, it's Jesus who died. So that's the doctrine of substitution. The doctrine of substitution. The doctrine of substitution says that Jesus Christ paid the debt of sin on our behalf. He was the substitute for us. We should have gone to the cross. We should have died for our sins, but he did it for us. And then he goes on in verse 34, says, who is at the right hand of God? That's the doctrine of ascension. So not only did Jesus pay for your sins in substitution, but he also ascended to the right hand of the Father. What this means is that Jesus has received uh, the title to the entire universe because of what he did at death and hell, and the grave, and he rose from the grave, and now he's ascended to the right hand of Father. Therefore, he's received the entire title of the universe, and he now rules as king and ultimate judge. So the third statement is, who also intercedes for us. This is the doctrine of intercession. The doctrine of intercession. Jesus is our advocate. He's our representative in heaven. He's faithfully looking out for our own welfare. And you know what? I said there's four, and I, as I'm going through my notes, I kind of skipped one. It, it's the word, the phrase. So let me back up because I want you to get that because those of you that are taking notes, you're going to say, didn't he say four? Or did No, I did. So let me go to this one. So it's Jesus who died, substitution. The second one, that this one I skipped, is who was raised. That's a doctrine of resurrection. Because Jesus was raised to new life and you and I in salvation identify with him, we now have new life. And then we go to the doctrine of ascension, who's at the right hand, and the doctrine of intercession, who also intercedes for us. So because of Jesus, there is no charge that will ever stand, and there is no condemnation. I love this. This isn't in your notes, but as I'm preaching today, I'm just thinking about this. John 3, 17, for God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, 
Whenever you feel condemnation, which is guilt over sin that you've already asked God to forgive you for, that's what condemnation is. Conviction is guilt over sin that's unforgiven. Guilt over sin that you began to go, I'm guilty. (laughs) I'm wrong. I, I need to ask God to forgive me. I need to make this right. That's conviction. Condemnation is from the pit of hell. Conviction is a work of the Holy Spirit. Condemnation is God has already heard your prayer. He's faithful and just to forgive you your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Faithful, he'll do it every time. Just, he has a power to do so. So you've already asked Jesus to forgive you. He has forgiven you. The Bible says when he forgives us, he casts our sin as far as the east is from the west, which means the east and the west never meet. He remembers them no more. And so whenever we feel guilt over sin that's already been forgiven, that's condemnation. Paul says there is no condemnation because Jesus Christ went to the cross for you and for I, substitution. He was raised from the dead, doctrine of resurrection. He ascended to the right hand of the Father, which means he owns not just this earth, but the entire universe, the doctrine of ascension. And he intercedes for us. He goes, he's our advocate. He goes on our behalf. Should ever the enemy or anyone connected to him ever say something, it's like, forgiven, forgiven, pardoned, pardoned, forgiven, forgiven. I don't even know what you're talking about. Sins no more. Wow. Fourth statement that Paul makes in this passage is that you and I are forever loved. Forever loved, verse 35 and 36. It's verse 35 says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Paul goes on and gives seven different possibilities. Seven different possibilities. If you look at those possibilities, you'll notice that Paul has, has dealt with all of those, all those issues. Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword. Matter of fact, in Paul's gospel, excuse me, not Paul's gospel, but Paul's letter to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23 through 28, he gives verbal, excuse me, written assent that, that, that he has personally endured all of these possibilities. This is one of the things I love about the writings of Paul is that Paul doesn't just speak from a theological precipice or from a theological stance, but he, he speaks from experience. It's one thing for somebody to tell you about something that they've never really experienced it, but it's another thing for someone who says, no, I've endured this and I've come out on the other side and here's the deal. Who will separate you from the love of God? Paul's not only telling you theologically that nothing will, but Paul's also saying, hey, I've experienced these things and the love of God is still there in every single one of those situations. This is like when you go to the doctor or you, you go see someone, let's just say it's a doctor and, and you say, hey, here's what's going on. Um, I'm, I'm having some discomfort here. And the doctor goes, it's, it's no, no worries. You're, you're totally fine. Here's what's going on. You may experience this a little bit, but it'll subside and go gone. So you, you leave the doctor's office and you mentally understand what he's saying. Then later that day, you experience that pain or that discomfort or whatever that you said, hey, I'm doing this. And, and the doctor says, hey, but that's no worries because that's going to subside. And because the doctor said it's okay, you kind of, your anxiety goes down and your, and your, your frustration goes down. And then before you, before you realize it, you've forgotten about it. And then it has subsided and gone on. It's Paul saying, look, nothing's going to separate you from the love of God. 
Nothing's going to take you away from God's love. Nothing's going to take God's love away from you. There is nothing. So just relax. So in those moments you go, hey, is this hardship or this persecution or this situation? That No, 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 nothing. Just relax. It's going to be okay. The fifth and the final uh, ability that you and I have to conquer is um, the fact that we're forever his. Forever his. Which means it has no beginning, no ending. It's forever. Verse 37, I want to read this again. This is kind of the, the key text for this entire passage. Yet in all of these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So what are these things that he's talking about? Again, everything that you and I experience as Christ followers. From the initial elation of, of the freedom that we have from sin to the sobering reality that we now are living in freedom and we don't have to be bound by our sins or bound by our past and our chains are gone. We've been set free. To the realization that our old slave master, that flesh that we've talked about the last couple of weeks, he's still going to try to hold on. He's not going to let us go easily. And there's going to be struggles with the flesh. There's also going to be persecution in this world. But the joys and the sorrows and the setbacks and the triumphant and the triumph, excuse me, of all of these things, this is what he's talking about. In all of these things, from the highs and the lows, from the struggles and the internal issues to external issues, the good, the bad, the whole part of what it means to be a Christ follower. And let me stop here because a lot of times we don't preach on this. It probably should be a whole message I should preach on this. But when you come to faith in Jesus Christ, it doesn't mean you get a get out of jail free card. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that you get to escape persecution or hardship. It just means that you are no longer doing this alone. And it means ultimately that you win. And it also means that even in the persecution and the hardships and, and these things that oppose you, they actually work to help you, that the struggle actually produces strength. Before Christ, the struggle just leads you to death. After Christ, the struggle makes you stronger. That way the enemy tries to use to destroy you actually makes you stronger. And all of these things, we as sheep are more than conquerors. Have you ever thought about that? Because in verse 36, he refers to us as sheep, sheep to the slaughter. He's reminding us that the Bible likens you and I as Christ followers as sheep. Think about the imagery here, sheep overcoming. The fact that sheep can overcome anything or conquer anything is laughable. Like when was the last time you, you heard a great sports team that they're, they're the sheep, the lambs? They, it just, it's, it's not because sheep are not a conquering creature. They're, 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 they're not a warring critter, right? I mean, sheep, it's, it's laughable. Fighting sheep, how, how do we overcome? Well, we conquer not because of us, but because of our champion, Jesus, who, yes, is the Lamb of God, but he's also the Lion of Judah. He's also the suffering saint that the book of Isaiah talks about, but he's also the conquering king that the book of Psalms and the book of Revelation, which is the final say, also refers to him. We are victorious because we will win through him. Because of his victory, we have victory. 
Because of his conquering, we have conquering. Therefore, we are not just conquerors in Christ Jesus, but we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. Because Jesus has conquered it, therefore you and I didn't even have to even go through the conquest of conquering the sin and the opposition and the hardship and the trial and, the, and, and our own death. He did that for us. Therefore, because he conquered it, you and I get the benefit. We are more than a conqueror. We, we stand on his shoulders, if you would. And even as sheep, we have not the ability to conquer for ourselves, but yet he does it for us. Do you know how awesome that is? Do you know how liberating that is? <laughs> Do you know, I mean, right now, you should be standing up and just praising God because we don't overcome, we don't conquer through ourselves. We have not the ability, but he does. And because he does, he does it all for you and I. And we're more than conquerors through Christ Jesus. So he goes on to verse 38. He uses the word, I am persuaded. The Greek, that would mean I am convinced. That word persuaded would be our word for convinced. It's a present tense verb. It indicates that something occurred in the past has ongoing results in the present time. So there's nothing in the natural life or death that can keep us from the love of God because Jesus Christ overcame um, and, and revealed his power of everything within the natural realm when he died on the cross and he rose again. There's nothing in the supernatural realm, uh, including angels, fallen or elect spiritual forces that can harm us because God created all of these things, including everything in the supernatural realm. And he continues to rule over them in his universe because God rules over everything in time and space. Nothing can subvert his will. So I am convinced, Paul says, at the end of all of this, that there is nothing in this world or beyond. Because this world, Jesus, over, oh, Jesus Christ through death, hell, and the grave overcame all of the trappings of this world. And beyond, everything in the universe, and the universe itself, God created. Therefore, I am convinced that nothing else can hurt us, harm us. We are forever his. So I want to end today by reading, rereading the passage. I don't think I've ever done this when I preached a sermon. But now that you understand what he says, just listen. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? For it is God who justifies. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died and furthermore also risen. And even at the right hand of, of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? For it is written, for your sake, we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, or any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Amen. Father, I just thank you today for your people.
And I pray, Lord, if they feel discouraged or defeated or downtrodden, that they will go back to this passage. They'll go back to this sermon and realize that you forever, without fail, love them, protect them, hold them, keep them, and help us to win, period. Even when the world tries to throw everything at us. I pray, God, that we would be We would walk out, verse 37, that we would be more than conquerors today because Jesus, you paid the price for our salvation. Let us therefore do more than that and be conquerors. And I pray, Lord, if there's anybody else who's listening today who doesn't have a personal relationship with you, I pray, God, they would pray this simple prayer with me. Jesus, come into my heart, come into my life, Be my Lord and be my Savior. I confess my sins and I believe that you, Jesus, are the Son of God, just like the Bible says. I give you my life today. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, I pray for anyone who might have prayed that prayer for the very first time, rededicated their life to you, that the joy of the Lord would be their strength, that peace of God that passes understanding would fill their hearts, and that they would have the joy and the satisfaction of knowing that heaven is their home. And this passage is as much for them as for somebody who's been serving God for 80 years. Thank you, Lord, for your love for us. In Jesus' name, amen.